You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. says that my mind, my will, and my emotions long for the courts of the Lord. Every part of my inner world is yearning to be in your presence. My soul longs, yes, it even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and even my flesh cry out for the living God. He says, even the sparrow has found a home in the house of God, is what he's saying. The swallow has found a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is found in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Pilgrim is someone who travels through, someone who's on a journey, somebody that's going somewhere. So our heart is called to be set on being on a journey, not being in a place. As they pass through the valley of Bacar, that word Bacar means weeping. As they pass through the valley of weeping, it, it, it doesn't actually say if they pass through the valley of weeping, but those that are following God, those that are on a pilgrimage to find him, to discover more of him, to know him and the power of his resurrection, will pass through the valley of weeping. And you might pass through it more than once. But blessed are they whose strength is found in, in God and whose heart is set on a pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a spring. In other words, they've learned how to sink a well in the desert places of life. And they've learned how to draw water with joy from the wells of salvation. They've learned in those dry and barren places where there are no answers, where there is no clarity, where there's often more confusion than there is clear vision. They've learned to be able to tap into God in such a way that they draw water that refreshes and revives when everything around them is all about draining and sucking life and stealing joy, peace and hope. They've learned how to sink a well and the rain covers their desert with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. You know, when, when we live a life of intimacy with God. Not just people who go to church. But when we live a life of intimacy with God, where we are actually pressing into his presence, we're yearning and longing to know him, to touch him, to experience him, to sense his presence filling us. The Bible calls the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is our body. When we, when we have a longing and a yearning to know him, to the point where our prayer times, our private devotional times, our worship times actually eventually touch God. Because that's what it's all about. I know a lot of Christians have been in church for many years. I don't think they've ever touched God. I don't think they've ever experienced the presence of God to the point that I'm talking about here today. But when you so yearn and so long for the presence of God, where you break in and you touch God, something happens in that moment 
where his healing power is released. And what he does is he heals your past. So a lot of people today in church with undealt with issues from the past that are binding their present and are hindering their future. But when you touch God, he heals your past in such a way that it, it stops its impact upon your present that then ultimately propels you into your future. But if we don't touch God, if we don't reach in with a heart like the psalmist says, longing, my flesh yearns, my soul hungers, I, I, I want the presence of God more than anything else in life. If we don't do that, I don't think we're ever going to touch God in a way that will release his true healing power that will actually heal our past and the wounds and the pains and the hurts of our past that will then stop their impact upon our present, will stop us living in a cloud of depression, will stop us living in a place where, where we are so, so anchored back from going forward. Unless we touch God, then the impact of our past issues will not change the impact on our present and we will never be catapulted into our future. I, I believe with all my heart that God first calls us up before he sends us out. He calls us up into his presence. He calls us up into that place where he can mold us and shape us and heal us and restore us and prepare us to go out and do what he has created us to do. Brian Houston put a, uh, a devotional out on the airwaves today. And the opening statement was that a career is what you are paid to do. A calling is what you are ultimately made to do. It's what you are created to do. And, and God has a destiny and a purpose for us to be so fruitful and so influential and so impacting upon the life, life of this broken world that he has to be able to restore us and heal us and, and adjust us and realign us and bring us into that place where he can trust us to then be able to send us out. But if we endeavor to go out before we first go up, ultimately, we will end up doing more harm than good to ourselves and often to other people. There's, a, there's an interesting verse in Proverbs chapter 30. And it's in verse 21 and 23, through to 23. There are three things that make the earth tremble. No, actually, the writer of Proverbs says, four that it cannot endure. A slave who becomes a king, an overbearing fool who prospers, a bitter woman who finally gets a husband, I don't really know what that one really means. And a servant girl who supplants or betrays her mistress. But the first one is what I have always found fascinating. The earth trembles. The earth cannot cope. Something happens in the atmosphere of our planet when a slave becomes a king. Now, I don't believe for one minute that a slave cannot rise up and become a king. What this passage is saying is that when a, a person with a slave mentality, a person with undealt with issues in their life, a person with, with chains of bondage and oppression that have never been broken off their life, suddenly elevated into a position of leadership or influence, more damage is often done than good. 
Because generally, they're leading out of a wrong motivation. They're serving out of a wrong motivation. They're either finding significance out of what they do rather than finding significance out of who they are in Christ. And so when a slave, a person who is still broken on the inside, is suddenly launched into a position of leadership. That's why Paul said to Timothy, do not put a novice in a position of eldership or oversight or leadership. Because something will go pear-shaped. We've got to go up before we effectively go out. And we have to allow God to deal with our inner world. And, And what this passage is really saying is that just as the blind can't lead the blind... So a prisoner cannot liberate another prisoner. We have to first be liberated before we can liberate. We have to first be healed before we can bring somebody else to a place of healing. We need to get out of the crowd on a regular basis and into the cloud of his presence. And in the cloud of his presence, he can do what he needs to do in us. And so, you know, and and that that healing, that realignment, that adjustment within us so that he can then effectively send us out and make a difference. Pastor John last Sunday referenced that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 17 that says, For the Lord is the Spirit and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know, we will never find freedom in the company of prisoners. You will never find freedom in the company of prisoners. We have to get out of the crowd, into the cloud of his presence, find the freedom that Jesus died to give us that only God can bring, the healing and the restoration that only he can impart into our life so that then we come back down into the crowd and as a liberated person, as a whole person, as a healed person, we can then bring liberation, healing and wholeness to those that we connect with. You will never find freedom in the company of prisoners. You've heard it all said, if you want to fly with eagles, stop walking with turkeys. We need to love turkeys. We need to go and spend some time with turkeys, but don't do your life with turkeys. You have to do your life in the heavens with the presence of God so that he can build you, strengthen you, enlarge you, create within you that Christ-likeness, that wholeness, that health that only he can bring so that then when you go amongst the turkeys, you can help them get out from amongst the turkeys if that makes sense. You know, the path of life that a follower of Christ is called to walk upon often runs in and out of darkness, in and out of confusion, in and out of pain, in and out of places where you feel very unsafe and very uncomfortable. That's the path that a Christ follower is called to walk upon. You know, I think the church for many years has done an injustice in its preaching in that we've created this this approach, come to Jesus and everything will be fixed. Come to Jesus and he'll make it all better. Are you sad? Come to Jesus, he'll make you happy. Are you sick? Come to Jesus, he'll, he'll heal your body. I believe in healing. And I believe that he will do those things. But, but that's not really what the gospel is all about. You see, we are, we are called to follow Jesus. And sometimes that path, that sacred journey that he takes us on is, is fraught with challenges. It's fraught with disappointments. It's fraught with issues that are actually designed to do something in you. And we try and get away from it. But the path that we are called to is often difficult. Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, the narrow gate 
This passage says, is difficult that leads to life. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it because we don't want the difficult terrain. We don't want the challenges. We, don't, we just want everything to be made better. We just want everything to make us feel good. We just want everything to be resolved today. But Jesus is saying there's a broad way, which is the verse. I don't know if you can get that verse up for me, Ben, the one before it. But it says very wide and very broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many people find it because initially it's a comfortable road. Initially, it makes us feel good. Initially, it's easier. Initially, we avoid conflict. We avoid challenge. We avoid you know, issues, storms and gales and, and hurricanes and things that blow into our life. But Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life. Ultimately, it'll feel good. But at the end, it'll be a real disappointing experience. But narrow is the way. And when you, you choose that narrow way, it will be difficult. The Bible promises that. I shared a few weeks ago that Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Oh, I thought you said, if I come to Jesus, everything will be better. Well, ultimately it will be. But if we want true inner healing and true inner wholeness, we've got to get out of the crowd and into the cloud of his presence and allow him to do a work in us so that when we come back down onto the horizontal plane into the difficult times, we are more equipped and enlarged to be able to go through those processes to serve kingdom purpose. You know, God has always, if you read your Bible and you know your Bible, you'll find that God has always called his people to a path where there is rarely a destination. It's a path where there is rarely an arrival point. It's a path rather designed to develop, to encourage, to, to increase inner enlargement of our faith and our confidence in God. It's a path that calls us to a greater level of service towards others rather than what can I get from God? What will God do in my situation? I'll try everything else. I'll now try God. And if it doesn't work the way I want it to work, I'll keep looking elsewhere. That's really the kind of concept that the church has often portrayed in its presentation of the gospel. But you see, we, we are called to a path that is more anticipating a heavenly destination. And in the meantime, we're on a journey that will stretch us. It will enlarge us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, talking about the people of faith that have gone before us, says that this is a very, very discouraging verse, by the way. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth, pilgrims. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them and they're prepared to take it on the chin. They're prepared to take the disappointments. They're prepared to step up and keep pushing through, knowing that there is a great destination at the other end. But in, in the meantime, I'm on a journey where there's no arrival point on this level. I, I hope that, that makes sense to you. You know, God promises us redemption and eternal life in the presence of the source of all life. But his sacred path in the natural will often lead us away from predictability. It'll often lead us away from comfort. It'll often lead us away from what we would call a sense of safety. And believe me, folks, if you try to fly over the rugged terrain, or if you try to circumnavigate the challenge that lies directly before you, in order to find a safer place to be, you will not find God in that journey. 
So how do you know that? Because I just read it to you in Matthew chapter 7. Narrow is the path and difficult is the way that leads to life. God is the source of all life. So often we try to avoid pain at all costs. We try to avoid storms at all costs. We try to, I don't really want to, I don't really want to go there. I don't really want to face that. I don't really want to have to deal with that. So I'll be like an ostrich and put my head in the sand or I'll find an easier road to get around. You will end up disappointed because it won't lead to God. Often that easier road only ever leads to idols. Now an idol, you might think, oh, we're not into idols. We're in the Western world. We're not in the Eastern culture. No, no, an idol is anything that we run to that makes us feel better other than God. Anything that we use in life other than God, that makes us feel better about life. That's an idol. And trying to avoid the road that God has called. I referenced, you know, Heinz feet on high places a few weeks ago. The story of Much Afraid, who, who really wanted to reach heights in God. And, and the shepherd said to her, I'm going to let you go, but I'm sending two companions with you. I'm going to send pain and suffering. She said, oh, no, please don't do that. Why can't joy and peace go with me? They're ready and packed and ready. They'd be happy to come with me. No, 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 I don't want to send joy and peace. I want to send pain and suffering because pain and suffering is what's going to get you where you need to go. Remember, Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Joel just said an interesting thing to me in in the green room before I came up this morning, a prophetic word. Uh, Many of you would have heard of Beth Moore. Uh, She prophesied that there would come. Actually, come and read it to us, Joel. This is an amazing thing. Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. We are called to be obedient to the word of God. And Beth Moore has recently prophesied this to whoever, and it's gone out across the world. And I think it's a sign of the last of the last days where the church will have a form of godliness, but it'll deny the very power that can make us godly. We will look good. We will sound good, but we will smell shocking. Because Jesus won't actually be in it. Have you got it there? You'll watch a generation of Christians Christians set the Bible aside in an attempt to become more like Jesus. Do you hear that? It's coming a day where the church will set the Bible aside in order to become like Jesus. I find that mind-boggling. And stunningly, it will sound completely plausible. This will be perhaps the cleverest of all the devil's schemes in your generation. Sacrifice truth for love's sake. And you'll rise or fall based upon whether you will sacrifice one for the other. Will you have the courage to live in the tension of both truth and love? Let that sink in. That, 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 is, that puts the hairs up on the back of my neck. You know, I was just reading again this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3, in the last days, there will be very difficult times, Paul says to Timothy. You know, people will betray one another. They will be lovers of self rather than lovers of God. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They will be boastful and proud. They will, they will slander other people. They will, they will misrepresent. They will be hateful. They will be unforgiving. The list goes on and on and on. And he's not talking about the world. He says, such people have a form of godliness. That's what that verse is attached on. Such people have a... He's saying this is going to happen in the church. Where we will, in in an attempt to to make it look like we're trying to be more like Jesus, we will put the Bible aside. The Bible is the only source of reliable information we have about Jesus. It's scary. It's deceitful. It's deceptive. It's, it's, It's leading people astray. And I agree, it's probably one of the greatest tools of the devil right now to get us looking good and feeling like, yeah, I'm jumping through all the hoops. I'll be fine with God. But we're not really 
being obedient. And the moment we suffer something in life, we quickly turn our back on God rather than run to him saying, God, give me strength to get through this. God, show me what you want me to learn out of this. Help me to become obedient through the things I suffer so that I learn how to live well in a broken Melissa, you've done it again. Oh, I'm back on. I'm back on. Thank you, Melissa. You fixed whatever it was you did. We've got to learn to live well in a fallen and a broken world. In this world, we will have trouble. We don't get ticked off with God when trouble comes. But say, God, what do you want me to learn out of this? How do you want me to grow from this? What is it you want me to discover? You know, I was led back today to, or yesterday to Psalm 23. It's an amazing psalm, and everybody knows the psalm. But let me, let me say this. Following Jesus is fraught with challenges, and it's fraught with uncertainty and a major lack of clarity. That's why it's called a life of faith. Faith is trusting when you don't know. It's trusting when you can't see. It's believing that God is a good God, and he will make all of this work together for his purpose, ultimately, even if it costs me my life. We don't like hearing that. But I, I felt led back to, to Psalm 23 where this psalm really gives us so much revelation in how we can live well in a fallen world. Psalm 23, it opens with the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, it doesn't say the Lord is my shepherd. I'll get everything I want. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because I'm following the shepherd, because my heart and my soul longs for his presence, and I'm yearning for him, and I'm chasing after him, I will not want for any good thing. It's, it's unqualified. If the Lord is your shepherd, regardless of your background, your socioeconomic standing, regardless of your race, your color, your creed, if the Lord becomes your shepherd, you will not want for any good thing. You will not lack joy in the middle of a world that so lacks joy. You will not lack peace in the middle of a world that is so uncertain and so unsettled. You will have peace and joy. You will have emotional stability when people are falling apart with mental illness all around you. You will have that if the Lord is your shepherd. You will not want for any good thing. It's the truth. And when the Lord is your shepherd, you'll learn how to live well in a broken world. When the Lord's your shepherd, you know, he makes us lie down in green pastures. You know, it's very, very difficult to get sheep to lie down unless there are four things present. There has to be a, a lack of fear. When the Lord's your shepherd and you know him as your shepherd, perfect love casts out all fear. You see, the presence of God comes and God is love. The Bible tells us he's love. And when the presence of God comes, the presence of the shepherd comes, all fear is cast out and you can sit and relax in the middle of the storm. When there's a, an absence of fear, sheep will easily, easily lie down. When there's an absence of friction with other sheep, that's why at times you have got to get out of the crowd and into the cloud of his presence. Because there'll always be friction. Bill Hybels almost had a nervous breakdown leading his church because he said that he, he felt like he'd deal with one problem and then another would arise. He'd face one challenge and then another one would appear. He'd, he'd go over one mountain only to find there's 10 more on the other side, 10 times bigger. 
And he said he used to work with his father's fruit and veggie store. A, a truckload of potatoes would come in, and it was a hard job back then, he said, to unload that truck. But he said there was an end, there was an end post. He said, you could see we were getting there, and eventually the last load would be off and the job would be done. He said, I feel when I got into church world, I'd lift one sack of potatoes off and when I'd turn it to be replaced by another. He said, it's just never ending. But he said, when the Lord's your shepherd and you get into the cloud of his presence and the friction that happens on the horizontal, it so dissipates and you're empowered and strengthened again. He helps you to lie down. Sheep can't lie down if there's fear. They can't lie down if there's friction. They can't lie down if there are flies. He gets rid of the flies. The Lord of the flies. Beelzebub he's called. Which is just another name for the devil. Sheep can't lie down if there's a need to find food. When you know him as your shepherd, all of these things you will not want. You will not want. He restores my soul. The Amplified Version says he restores my life. You know, in the sheep herding world, there's an old English term that shepherds used to use. It's called cast or cast down. It's when a sheep was turned over on its back. And often if a sheep is turned over on its back, the outcome would be fatal unless the shepherd was there to restore it back to its feet. And that's what this psalm is using as an allegory to say that the Lord comes and at times I do feel cast down. At times I do feel discouraged. At times I do feel like I need to give up and I, I just can't do this anymore. Uh, you know, when the Lord is your shepherd, he comes and he restores your life. He gets you off your back and back onto your feet and he nurtures and he cares in the cloud of his presence so that when you go back out into the pasture, life begins to flow again. There's a whole host of things in here. He feeds me. He, he, he prepares a table for me in the presence of the devil. Devil's trying to kill me. God's just feeding me. And I just enjoy it in the process. Probably the biggest thing that stands out for me in this psalm, and I don't want you to miss this, he anoints my head with oil and my cup runs over. You know, there's a pest in the sheep herding world called the bot fly. And you can Google it. Just Google sheep bot fly. It's a pesty fly, and this is gross. It lays its maggots in the nose and ears of the sheep. And the maggots multiply and grow and develop and wriggle in the nasal cavity of sheep and goats. And when those maggots get really active, it can almost drive the sheep insane. Where the sheep, it's not uncommon to find them bashing their head against the tree or on the ground or shaking their head violently because of the agitation and the, and the irritation that the maggots from the bot fly are creating in its nose. And eventually the maggots drop out, go into the ground and incubate there for three to four weeks before they then become flies to start the process all over again. But you see, what shepherds used to do in the older days, there's probably a lot more chemical stuff now to treat the effects of the bot fly. But what shepherds used to do was they would get oil. And they would pour oil into the nasal cavity of the sheep and the goats and into the ears of the sheep and the goats. And the oil would agitate the maggots to the point where they couldn't get away from it quick enough and they'd leave the nasal cavity and they'd come out through the ears and, and it would fix the whole problem. You know, you know sometimes... You have to get out of the crowd and away from the maggoty thoughts that the devil put in your head. Get into the cloud where he can anoint your head with oil 
fill your ears and your nose with oil that aggravates those maggoty thoughts that come from the devil that really can mess with your thinking processes and then come back down into the crowd and be more effective in being a liberator of those that are bound. You know, last Sunday night at Heartbeat, I, I shared with the engine room of our church just what our church has been doing over the last 6 to 12 months when it comes to child protection and how we will manage known child sex offenders that walk through the doors of our church. And I was very open and candid about you know, the boundaries and the policies and the procedures that we have now put in place as a church. We've always had policies and procedures in regard to this, but we've gone to a whole new level simply because of the Royal Commission and what's come out of the Royal Commission. And, and it's been a good thing. I think all institutions, not just the church, are, are endeavouring to really protect kids now more than ever because of what's come out that has gone on in the past because kids have been unprotected. And I was very open, very candid about uh, that information last, last Sunday night. And I shared some things that really stretched me and challenged me as a leader. But I find it interesting that only this week, even since I've, I've shared all that, it came back to me that someone has propagated a story out there that we've had a child molested in our children's ministry late last year. And not only have they propagated a story like that, they've, they've gone so far as to say that our church is currently before the courts over this matter and that one of our elders has been meeting with this person who's propagated the story, keeping them regularly updated with the progress of this situation. It's a total fabrication. There's no truth in it whatsoever. Um, it, it's... It's just an outright lie. In fact, to be honest, it's nothing short of wicked. If our church is before the courts, I don't know anything about it. If, if our church is before the courts, our elders don't know anything about it. So it must be all happening without our knowledge. Our children's ministry don't know anything about it. I think we've got a great children's team and we've got great things in place. They've all done working with children's check. But I've told you that story to say this. One, if you hear it, you know it's not true. It's a complete fabrication, and I, it's nothing short of wicked as far as I'm concerned. But let me tell you this. That can mess with a senior pastor's head. So if I don't learn in the journey of that to get out of the crowd and into the cloud of his presence where he can anoint my head with oil and deal with those maggoty thoughts that the devil would try and get into my head, I'm going to be no good to anybody when I come back down out of the cloud and start serving kingdom purpose on the horizontal. You know, there was other things came to light this. Well, apparently, I'm having an affair as well. <laughs> I think in my whole journey of Christian leadership, I'm absolutely honest with this, my whole journey with Christian leadership, I don't think I've ever even been in a place where there's been the potential for an affair. But anyway, that I can shake off. The other, I find very hard to shake off because it brings our church's credibility into question. And it's just wrong. But you see, it takes takes the shepherd and the anointing of my head with oil. And you're the same. What, what is it that, that the devil gets in your head over? What is it that's happening to you where, where your mind just starts racing and you're tossing and turning in your sleep? You can't get to sleep because you can't shake this thing. It's like those maggots just irritating your mind. You've got to let the shepherd. So if we don't get out of the crowd into the cloud and let him anoint our head with oil, we'll never get the breakthrough that we need. 
And of course, that psalm closes with, I think, one of the most amazing statements in the Bible. Because he's my shepherd. Because I go to him. Because I long for him. Because I yearn for him. Because my soul is hungry for him. Because of all of that stuff. Surely. Surely. Oh, surely. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That doesn't mean I won't have challenges. But in the middle of, you know, I, when I first got saved, there used to be a song in Sunday school, and sometimes I'd sing it in church, and it was really embarrassing because there were actions. But it went like this, with Christ in my vessel, I can smile at the storm, smile at the storm, smile with Christ in my vessel, I can smile at the storm as we go sailing on. But then it was like, as Christ in my vessel, I can smile at the storm, smile at the storm. With Christ in my vessel, I can smile at the storm as we go sailing on. But then the song would go on. You'd have to drop a word out with, in my vessel, I can, you know, and then it'd be with, in my, I can, at the, at the, you know. So sometimes they do it in church. But you know something? There's so much truth in that song. When he's my shepherd, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I can smile at the storm. Does it mean the storm's fun? Not at all, but I can smile. In the, even if I've got to grip my teeth and smile, I can still smile at the storm because I know goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life.